You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. Podcasts about living with more joy, grace, and zip. Being more in your true, authentic self, having more energy, and feeling good physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We also strive to be entertaining as well as educational. We'll be interviewing experts in the field of health and well being, sharing with you our knowledge and experience to help you. Eat better, feel better, do better, and have a more positive outlook on life. Sounded good to be true? Maybe possible? Well then, you're in the right place. As a doctor practicing functional medicine, Dr. Matthew Flory's specialty is treating inflammation and sustained chronic inflammation-related conditions. Well, that's a mouthful. He's dedicated the remainder of his days to this endeavor due to the fact he's been there, done that. Dr. Matt is very candid about this fact, and as you get to know him, you'll undoubtedly hear about his fight with Hashimoto's autoimmune hypothyroidism, depression, liver dysfunction, severe toxicity, reactive hypoglycemia, chronic fatigue, all of this resulting from hidden infections such as candida. Wow, Matt, it sounds like you were a real mess. It's nice to find someone who's been worse off than me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right, right, right. Well, you know, I'm happy to say those days are behind me. (laughs) Yay! How are you and welcome. I'm, I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, thank you very much for uh, for having me. This is a uh, it's it's always so much fun talking with you, and I I was looking forward all day to uh, to talking with you today too. So, Aww, yeah, you know, thank I, you. <laughs> when 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 you come from that sort of um, uh, existence, uh, you can never really completely let the reins go. So, you know, when when you say that you know you're in remission or uh, you've overcome those things. You know, it's because you've made lifestyle changes that have supported that. And, mm-hmm. you know, you you, uh, you don't really want to go back, as you could probably imagine. Yes, yes. Well, as you know <laughs> that, um, you know, this also has personal significance for me, too, because I'm sure. dealing with all my health stuff. Um, before we start, I would like to share a funny story. And I haven't told you this yet. Um, yeah, I did talk. I'm, I'm anxious to hear <laughs> Uh, and, and if you don't find it funny, we'll just edit it out. So if the listeners don't have a story, they'll know why. Um, so you and I have a, a friend who, what's the word I want? A uh, Wow, I'm having another senior moment. I do this all the time. Um, we, we both have a, a friend in Kate Michaels. And um, I was on her radio show, Emotional Wisdom Training. And uh, she's going to be on the podcast soon, too. Anyway, uh, after the radio show, we were chatting and she said, I had to get to know Matthew Flory, Dr. Matthew Flory, that we'll, we'll hit it off and we're both interested in the same things. So you and I start emailing and I'm, I'm very impressed with, you know, you're, you're kind of easygoing, got a good sense of humor. You're obviously bright. So I'm looking forward to our first chat. So we get on Skype and there you are in front of me with, <laughs> kind of long curly hair, a baseball uh-huh. cap. Um, you've got you're kind of a bit of a Missouri drawl, and your front tooth is <laughs> and your front tooth is missing. And yes, I and right. I'm thinking, 
Uh, what kind of a doctor is this anyway? Um, <laughs> what, what have I gotten into? So uh, I thought, I thought, well, okay, you know, let's just, let's, you know, I trust Kate. So let's, let's just kind of see what this is all about. So we start talking. It actually ends up to be two separate conversations. And, um, and I said to my husband, I told him this and I was laughing. I said, well, you know, let's just, we'll just kind of see what, what this, how this goes. So you start talking to me about functional medicine. And I said to you, you just gave me an hour and a half class. It was awesome. I learned so much. <laughs> and even Stephen, he was walking by and he heard a little bit of it. And he said, I hope you were recording that. And I said, no, I wasn't. I can't believe it. <laughs> I said, I can't because I can't remember it all. And it was so awesome. And then at the end of the conversation, you told me a story about how when you were eight years old, you had a little accident with your brother and you lost your front tooth. And over the weekend, you had lost the replacement. And you just hadn't had a chance to get to the dentist yet. <laughs> Now you can imagine me, you know, after having the, the, the Skype conversation, you can imagine me with a replacement tooth in there because I now have one in there. So that's good. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you, you know, I, it, it's, it's cool you bring that up because, you know, kind of before we get into today's topic, uh, that again, you know, the, this been there, done that kind of uh, upbringing and, and, and onboarding into this whole you know, realm of, of healthcare for me, my recent issues with having the tooth come out and then having to get fixed again has really uh, educated me on an aspect of inflammation that I wasn't that sharp on. And that is kind of the dental uh, end of things. Mm -hmm. It was a very, it was a learning experience. And I personally, again, I believe that I I was supposed to go through it so that I could have a firsthand experience of, of what's important with that. Uh, because as I have always, uh, it's, it's always appeared to me and I've heard from mentors and uh, time and time again that the top two sources for inflammation in the body come from the gut and the mouth. And so I had already dealt with the gut in my past years ago. Uh, and I hadn't dealt with a mouth yet. So I think it was a learning experience and I was supposed to go through it. Uh-huh. Well, you and I were taught when we were chatting, we were talking about root canals and you were educating me on that. And I, that's something that I've been really thinking about a lot. In fact, when I was at my dentist getting my teeth cleaned, I said, do you take out uh, root canals, take the tooth out and put implants in? And they said, no, but they said they could give me a referral. So I'm, I'm thinking about that because, um, after talking to you, it seems like, you know, maybe that might be something that's worth looking into. Yeah, might be a good idea. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, let's get into your specialty, which is functional medicine. It's a hot topic these days, as you know. And I'd love to know, how did you get into functional medicine? Um, what's your journey? Yeah. So, you know, we've already kind of highlighted some of my own health issues that developed through my uh, you know, I would say maybe late twenties, definitely early thirties through mid thirties. Uh, my health just declined in all those ways that we already highlighted. Uh, so I've had my own struggles and, you know, to this day, I still, I personally had a worse candida, uh, infection in my gut than any of the patients I've ever tested, you know, the probably thousands of patients, you know, uh, to this point. So that certainly was uh, an eye-opener for me, but 
even before I found that out for myself and, and, and had uh, this experience with my own health, mm-hmm. my father, uh, you know, they lived up in Indiana at the time. I was in St. Louis and my father was having some heart problems. He was, uh, you know, he would feel lightheaded. He would, uh, he, he just had these issues. His, his heart would race, the pulse would race. Um, and he was looking around for somebody to, to do, you know, an evaluation and to do what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, up in, in and around kind of Fort Wayne, Northern Indiana, he couldn't find a hospital near him that would take his insurance for this, you know, what he uh, was worried could be, you know, quite an I- issue dealing with this cardiovascular uh, problem. Hmm. As luck would have it, the a large hospital down here in St. Louis, Barnes Jewish, Jewish Hospital, uh, did take his insurance. And so he came down and he spent a couple weeks with me, went in for the evaluation, and they uh, ended up having to do a quadruple bypass around six blockages mm. that was, yeah, that was going on. Wow. And so he ended up spending not only the, the couple weeks of evaluation, but then also all his recovery period with me. And interestingly enough, while he was going through his preliminary assessments there at the hospital, they realized that he had a hypothyroid condition. Mm. Mm-hmm. And again, I have I have no I have no understanding of any of this at the time. So they what do they what do they immediately do, Janine? What 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 was their solution for the hypothyroid? Uh probably T4. Yeah, exactly. They put him on medication. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he he has this experience and as I then started, you know, within the next couple of years I started my own journey that we've uh, kind of alluded to. As I started to get into the, uh, into this field, I was like, okay, I'm going to do some blood work on my parents. So I did blood work on my father, and no kidding. See, we've even kind of talked. There's a there's a right way to do a thyroid panel of tests, and there's a mm-hmm. there's a you know a set of a set of labs that uh, will really help you identify where is the whole thyroid process breaking down. So. I did that full panel on him, uh, which of course they had only done the TSH, right? Oh, brother. And, um, right. And so I do the full panel and I find out that my father's uh, one, one of the two most common antibodies, uh, so the immune system fighting, uh, fighting the thyroid function um, via imbalance uh, as an autoimmune condition, one of his antibodies for... Uh, for the thyroid function was so high they couldn't even measure it. Their scale on this a- antibody goes up to uh, 999. Normal is somewhere between a zero and about a 30, uh, you know, 25 to 30. Mm-hmm. And his was so high they couldn't measure it. So we actually had no idea how much over a thousand his his measurements were on this specific antibody. And it just floored wow. me. I, you know, I immediately, you know, I got kind of upset because here they are putting him on, a, you know, thyroid replacement hormone, and with a simple test that honestly costs maybe twenty dollars, okay, twenty twenty five dollars mm-hmm. uh, cash, they could have determined that it was his immune system. 
his immune system that was causing this problem with the thyroid function. And, you know, to me, immediately just made sense because the heart condition was an inflammatory condition. Uh, you know, he had, he, has, he had developing insulin resistance and blood sugar elevation, you know, and all these things are, you know, now as I've gone deeper and deeper and deeper, just obviously part of infl inflammation, inflammatory conditions that, uh, th that affect the body. And so, you know, it, besides myself, it was really the progression of watching, you know, his health, uh, and, and trying to help him take the reins on it and get it under control. That was really my, uh, process of getting involved with functional medicine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Your dad was lucky to have you. Well, you know, I, I like to think so. He, he, I think, I think he might think so more so now than when I was little, you know, cause I, I was a, little, <laughs> a bit of a hooligan when I was little, but you know, that, that, that's all right. You know, it's, uh, I, I use, I use that type of that personality trait for, for my benefit now, you know, kind of taking some of these issues on, uh, on quite vocally because, you know, when somebody's being treated for something like that and the whole medical community is missing the boat by treating the thyroid hormone and not treating the immune system, in my view, I'm not afraid to say it. In my view, that's a form of malpractice. You know, it might be the standard of medical care right now, but by the de definition of malpractice, uh, that's not too far off, if you ask me. <laughs> I I would agree. Uh, I I still don't. I really don't understand why, it, at least from my experience, um, these MDs all all they they want to put their faith in and they want to look at is TSH. That's it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how did you start your medical practice? My original uh, doctorate uh, I got in 2001. I completed that then, mm -hmm. and that was in chiropractic. Mm -hmm. And I I never practiced traditional kind of pop it and crack it and twist and you know pop the back chiropractic. I practiced a form of chiropractic upper cervical, very gentle, called NUCA. And that's an acronym that stands for National Upper Cervical Chiropractic Association. And it still to this day is the only uh, procedure within chiropractic that has had the type of support, even from the medical community, uh, to where it, it garnered uh, uh, the National Institutes of Health actually funding uh, the University of Chicago to run a study on cardiovascular health, on blood pressure specifically, uh, as it pertains to the NUCA correction. And, you know, to describe the, pro the the procedure itself, it's incredibly gentle. And I know a lot of chiropractors uh, will say that they're, that they have gentle adjustments, but I'm telling you that you can, the amount of pressure that you use in NUCA, you can take your index finger, put it on your eye, close your eye, put it on your eye and press on your eye. And it uses that much pressure that you can apply to the eyeball without it really hurting. So it's incredibly gentle. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's really, it's about facilitating a relaxation of the, uh, of the musculoskeletal system, which uncoils around the brainstem and allows that brainstem to then control the rest of the nervous system to the degree that it does uh, in, a, in a much more efficient, effective way. So, you know, what they ended up finding with NUCA uh, is that it lowered the, the, the average person with high blood pressure, it would lower their blood pressure by 18 points on average. 
Oh when my, my father, yeah, when my father was having his cardiac problems and he was down, I would do the procedure on him when his blood pressure would go up. And sometimes it was rising really, really high up into the, you know, 190s even. Mm. And I saw his blood pressure drop 40, 50 points within a matter of five minutes after uh, applying this correction to him many times. Um, it was it was funny. Just today, I was meeting with a, a, a younger chiropractor, really just kind of out of school, you know, in the in the last couple of years. And I mentioned to him that I practice nuca, and he got all excited. And I didn't really understand why, because you know, to me, I don't know, you know, what what goes on so much in, in the schools these days. But you know, apparently, he said, you know, that's he's like that's great. He's like that's awesome. He's like, you know, that's kind of why I do what I do. He's like, that's one of the best procedures within chiropractic. And, and I'm telling him, really, I said, it's becoming well known. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, it's one of the most researched and, and, and one of the most, uh, most well known for that fact. And so that was kind of cool to, to know that, uh, you know, these days that uh, this, this specific set of evaluation and application of a correction to that brainstem, uh, which controls all the autonomic functions, we call them. There's the respiratory mm-hmm. rate is controlled there. Obviously, there's some, some control over blood pressure, things like that, that, that occurs there through the brain stem and that upper cervical area. So uh, that was, you know, that was kind of an interesting little uh, happening today. But that's how I got into um, uh, professionally in and of itself. And then, um, you know, probably seven, eight years ago is when this whole ordeal started with my father's health, with the decline of my health had been ramping up at that point. I got interested in functional medicine, and I started into a program uh, that's a diplomate program, which basically is a, a postdoctorate program uh, for internal mm-hmm. disorders. And so okay. I completed, you know, three three and a half years, I think it was, of of, of coursework for that um, that diplomate degree. And then I, I began and I've, I've got a couple, I've got a few more tests to take, but cause there's, you know, there's 13 tests that you have to pass. Oh, wow. For, yeah. For, for, mm-hmm. for this, for this diplomate degree. And I think I've got two or three left, but, um, so, it, you know, it's, it's a bit of a process, but that's been my, um, my process of getting into kind of the functional medicine and really to this day where most, you know, most all the referrals that I get and most of the people that I really, um, work with the, the, when, when I go out and I'm talking with people, what I'm seeking out is, is really to connect with people on this functional medicine scale, because, you know, there's a number of, uh, of people that do high quality chiropractic. There's a number of nuca doctors. Um, there's a much more, in, in my view, there's a much more of a lack of people that can support those with autoimmune conditions of which there's about 90 different versions of it that we know of right now in the literature, um, inflammation chronically going on and, and, and all the conditions that are associated with that. So, you know, I personally, you know, when, when I say that, you know, I'm going to do this the rest of my days, that's why, because I, I really feel that there's a greater need and there's a greater opportunity for me to, uh, to, to kind of touch others uh, through functional medicine. I'll still work on people w- with NUCA and with those adjustments as need be, but uh, my passion really is within this, uh, this realm of inflammation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what is functional medicine then? Yeah, you know, so functional medicine uh, originally developed out of the work of a think tank back kind of around the turn of the decade between the 80s and 90s. And there were a, a number mm-hmm. of thought leaders and doctors, me- medical doctors that uh, had got together. Uh, largely, a, a lot of that was put together by 
Dr. Jeffrey Bland, who is uh, kind of credited with being the father of functional medicine. And they had the task of answering a, a question. They, they, they Here at this uh, kind of think tank, this, this grouping together, they wanted to answer the question, what would the application of science uh, into medicine look like ideally? You know, we've been practicing, you know, some of us are maybe more in the scholastic realm, some of us have been practicing, but how would this look ideally with what we, what we know, what we've been through in our education, and what we see happening in the profession? And uh, you know, they kind of came from the perspective that there was such a burden that was growing on emergency medicine and the cost associated with delivering care in a crisis. You know, it was like, what would it look like if we attempted to understand and intervene before before we got to that point, before the crisis was there, before emergency medicine was was necessary. And so out of that came the concept that it would be ideal to measure the level of dysfunction in the body rather than measuring or assessing the level and threatening um, characteristics of the disease and then treating the disease. So so in a sense, it means that uh, it means that an early stage of uh, functional medicine is really a kind of a science of the early stages of a disease or the preceding time period before actual disease. Whereas, you know, for some people that already have developed chronic illness, it means instead of, you know, the early stages are proceeding up to disease, it means kind of the nuances, the triggers, uh, the underlying mm-hmm. causes of that disease, again, that uh, ev- eventually manifest into a full-blown disease and more of that kind of emergency situation. So what what just came to me yeah. was uh, preventive medicine on steroids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, exactly. You know, it, it has really forced us to sync up some of these ideas of environmental influences that have and exert their effect on our really our diverse array of of genetic makeup and things like that. So those are some of the concepts uh, that they had come up with. Something, you know, just looking at it from, you know, kind of a thousand foot view, if you step back and look at the state that we're in, something has to be there, Janine, to explain Mm -hmm. the gap or the disconnect between the fact that, you know, if we just take the U.S., because I'm, you know, mostly familiar with some of these statistics as it applies to the U.S., but in the U.S., there's a disconnect between the amount of money we spend, which is twice per capita of what other developed countries spend on healthcare yearly. And yet, even though that's a reality, the World Health Organization ranks the U.S., I think, 34th or 35th. It's, you know, in the, in the mid-30s in terms of those same countries that were, uh, that were compared to in terms of the expenditures. And so there's a huge disconnect there. We spend tons of money and we have all these advancements in medicine, and yet uh, our outcomes are abysmal when you look at it through that perspective. So what that kind of explains to me and to a lot of other functional medicine doctors in particular is it means that we're using the wrong model. You know, if we're spending all this money on a certain model and an application, then we ha- we must be doing it on the wrong model. And so if you ask, you know, what are we really good at here? What model are we spending the money on? It's a model for acute illnesses. You know, it's not a model that supports recovery from chronic illness. And, you know, that acute illness model employs what what is termed heroic interventions, you know, that of surgery or or pharmaceuticals or even a combination of the two that intervenes in a crisis 
and, and, and heroically bring somebody back to stability, right? And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and that's really what traditional medicine, uh, allopathic medicine, we, we often call it uh, also, mm-hmm. is. Whereas chronic illness, you know, a, a, acute illness, there's often a single, there's a single entity, a single cause, a single, single trauma or a single infection that that, in, right. that heroic, yeah, that heroic intervention is, is looking to ameliorate. Um, but with chronic illness, it's, that's not the way. It's not a single cause. It's usually a complex matrix of overlapping influences, uh, environmental uh, lifestyle, genetic causes. So, you know, one pill won't do it. There is no magic bullet for the chronic, you know, the, this chronic model. And we have to employ a comprehensive approach which has been personalized uh, to meet the individual's need. You know, a functional medicine protocol, well, we might have some great protocols that have developed. It's not going to be the same for you as it was for me because we aren't, Mm -hmm. yeah, we don't have the same exact lifestyle. We don't have the same history and family histories. Uh, So the traditional model works. We're grateful for it in acute and emergency situations, but it's just not, it just doesn't apply for chronic illness. Hmm. Okay, so Matt, I have a question yeah. um, that's kind of rolling around while you're talking. Yeah. Would you say that the reason that functional medicine is necessary now is because it seems to me there is much more chronic uh, illnesses, chronic dysfunctions now than there were in the past, that it's it's been slowly increasing and so an acute approach to medicine isn't working or to the patient isn't working. Yeah, I, I would say I would say that's absolutely the case. You know, I just um, uh, a presentation I just gave a couple nights ago was on uh, detoxification. And I took a moment to just outline some of the problem with toxins in our environment. And this is, you know, really only going to speak to a portion of what you just mentioned, which is, you know, we have much more of this chronic environmentally influenced, it's sometimes called, or lifestyle diseases uh, these days than we used to. But, you know, just if we only look at the uh, topic of toxicity or detoxification, uh, you know, we just a week ago or so did a, a great conversation on glyphosate and, you know, people will be able to reference that. And, and that's one mm-hmm. one area. But, you know, if, if, we, if I look at the statistics for just the U.S., you know, there's about there's over seven million different chemicals right now that are in existence across the world that have been produced for commercial use. In the in the U.S., there's wow. uh, yeah yeah in the U.S. there's you know coming up on about seventy four thousand that that they know about. And the reality is is that the EPA they have a process to go through for uh, for a chemical that's going to be put onto market for consumer use. Maybe it becomes a flame retardant for the, your new couch or drapes or the, you know, the carpet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's going to be a new additive for hand lotion, you know, th- different things like that. The thing is, yep, or cleaner, right? Exactly. These, these 74,000 that we know about that only constitutes the organic chemicals because inorganic chemicals, mm. which pesticides often are part of that, the inorganic chemicals don't even have to go through the same vetting process that the organics go through. And 
much more than that. Why is that? Don't ask me. I didn't set the rules up. Believe mm. me, I would not have set it up that way. <laughs> it, you know, I'm sure it helps out the business sector very well. So I'm sure it had to do mm. with you know mm-hmm. the, so, some some money trickling down in in, in some way. But the um, the organics, even the, the process they have to go to. You'll remember some of our conversation on the glyphosate. Their process is 90 days. <laughs> okay, right. Right. three months yep. long. And 80% of the chemicals that begin that process of 90-day process, they're already approved within three weeks. So, yeah, so, you know, without going any deeper into it, you know, just painting the picture of what the human, um, the human individual is dealing with these days in terms of chemicals in our environment that have the potential to screw up our biochemistry, it's just a massive, massive problem. And then, you know, let alone not even talking about the, the, the high stress and the increase in electromagnetic frequency and the effects that have on it. I mean, it's well documented, you know, everything from childhood cancer, Alzheimer's, you know, all these different disorders have relationships with EMF frequency and, 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 and magnetic resonance radiation that's out there. So there's a lot of different influences out there. And that's really, in my opinion, a huge driver to the increase in these chronic disorders. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of the uh, the testing that's done, it, it's on each individual item by itself, and that doesn't take into consideration the layers of all of these different things at once or over a period of time and the synergistic effects. Right. That, that, that's exactly right. You know, one of the things that I think when, when I f- took my first course that had anything to do with this kind of functional medicine topic and the internal disorders proce- process, I was floored within about 10 or 15 minutes because I had heard I had heard some doctors talk here and there uh, on maybe a podcast or, you know, potentially in person at a seminar. And I, I thought mm-hmm. to myself, how did they get so brilliant at understanding the intricate relationships of the body systems? How do they get to a point where they can talk like that? And within 10 or 15 minutes of uh, hearing my first lecture that it was, uh, was in the kind of the functional medicine realm, I understood. And that's why, that's why I continued that process because I understood this is where they got that. This is how they understood, uh, what are the core processes that we have to be aware of and, and how do we put them together? You know, uh, some of the most important ones in functional medicine are that GI function, you know, kind of like we said, it's, it's relationship to inflammation. Um, so GI mm-hmm. function is one of those core processes. Detoxification, again, uh, the bioenergetics, how we produce energy, which gets into kind of mitochondrial function, uh, has mm-hmm. huge implications to autoimmunity and cancer, okay, mitochondrial um, mm-hmm. uh, function there. But then some things like skeletal integrity, uh, cellular communication, which br- draws in the hormones and neurotransmitters and cellular signaling within the body. And then, of course, you know, again, the stress response and and how this impacts all, you know, all of these. And so all of these different categories, they all interweave together. And and I, I feel that that's the beauty of functional medicine. And that's really one of the huge, huge, um, you know, just kind of thought things that separate functional medicine from allopathic uh, like, like like you say, you know, are we going to test one thing? Are we going to classify you as a certain set of set of symptoms and then try to treat you 
with a drug or are we going to look at the, the interplay of all these systems of the body and figure out how to bring them back into homeostasis? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I can certainly say that treating just with pharmaceuticals doesn't seem to work because I've been dealing with my thyroid things for, what, 16 years and taking all kinds of of different medications and supplements, and I haven't gotten all that far. I mean, I'm definitely better, but, yeah, yeah. you know, obviously there's something more that needs to be looked at. There, there is, and it, it's interesting because... Functional medicine, you know, if you think back to the timeline that I mentioned at the very beginning, it's really the inception of it is about 25, maybe 25 plus years old. And so it is young. And Mm -hmm. uh, as as it spread, it certainly obviously has caught the imagination and uh, the intrigue of of doctors. And many doctors are 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 signing up and and kind of changing over the way they, they manage their clients, their patients to conform to these functional medicine ideas and principles. But it's interesting because at the same time, as we are doing that, and as we're really diving headfirst into this, we are also at the same time, because it's so young, learning a lot of the places where still functional medicine breaks down. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I find it interesting because, you know, we're going, we're going to have a period of time here where it's so young that a lot of people kind of say they do functional medicine because they've gone to a seminar or two and they have got you know a couple of the a couple of the core principles uh, exposure to them but there's really some places where we've been identifying that there's some breakdowns in the application or maybe even better said the delivery system of functional medicine you know the principles the philosophy the protocols they're very much locked into a, you know, discovering the root cause. You know, we have a system mm-hmm. finally that's based upon um, becoming a health detective and and em- you know, employing a health detective to work on your health, uh, rather than just being again just a rudimentary classification of people, uh, kind of herding them together by their symptoms and then trying to uniformly and unilaterally treat them with a pharmaceutical or a, a heroic intervention, but. <laughs> Meds just, they're never going to work for the entire population as a rule, because even if you only think of uh, the fact that here over the last 10, 15 years, the Human Genome Project's been completed, and we now understand that there's some, you know, even though there's only 24,000 some genes in our body, there's 3 million some different variations that those genes can express themselves uh, in ways they can express themselves. And so even just looking at that, uh, that variety that's there, there's really no way that one medication is ever going to have the same impact and influence uh, a group of people uh, that, uh, that are displaying the same sets of symptoms, maybe even have been labeled or diagnosed with the same disease. Uh, because, again, one person could have, you know, let's just take Hashimoto's. One person could have Hashimoto's because they have a terrible candida infection like myself, and another person could have it for an entirely different reason, maybe because they have an overload of polyunsaturated fatty acids uh, that have incorporated themselves into a cell membrane, and so now there's a certain level of thyroid resistance to the hormone that's developed. And so 
there's so many ways that you can come up upon the same condition. One medication, a silver bullet, is never going to be the answer. And we're finally figuring out why there's so many problems with side effects. There's so many problems with inconsistency of response to a, to a, to a certain drug. Um, and so, you know, the old adage that the food of one is the poison of another is just something we've got <laughs> to, you know, we've got to really take to heart um, within, within understanding this as a model. You know, so even, even functional medicine practitioners are really having to step up to the understanding that even our individual protocols, our version of the silver bullets, they don't apply to the same individual. You know, again, if I'm going to treat my Hashimoto's and I'm going to treat the person who has thyroid resistant Hashimoto's, there is going to be variations to that process. And that, and even though mm -hmm. there's, you know, an overall protocol to evaluating and understanding what's going on there, the treatment is very, very much individualized, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, go ahead. It sounds like there's almost a forensic aspect to this. Oh. I mean. That's what I <laughs> that love. That sounds about exciting. It. I mean, that yeah, I, that sounds exciting. That's what I, I love about really it because do. it really engages the problem solvers in the profession, right? That those are the mm. people that love functional medicine. The people that like to get in there, and the people that thought that they were getting into med school or maybe chiropractic school or naturopathic school, osteopathic school, nursing school. You know, there's so many different professions that can practice functional medicine in, in its principle and philosophy. But it really engages the imagination of those that are the problem solvers and the people that thought that's what they were getting into when they decided that they wanted to go into a health career and then were mm -hmm. unfortunately disappointed <laughs> when that's not the yep. way that's not the way the business worked. Um, you know, that's who is that's who I think you find are the people that are the early adopters. In functional med, uh, in functional medicine, and and that's who you see championing, championing, um, and really leading the way for this good fight, as as I like to think of it. Well, I'll tell you, if I was still a, a practicing as a nurse, I would be right there yeah. because one of the main reasons that I left the profession is it was just becoming mostly paperwork. Yeah. There was hardly any time to be spent with the patient. And it was not fulfilling. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, and so there's this whole group, these these generations of practitioners that have been left behind by what they thought they were getting into and then what they found once they got there. But that's leaving out the the that's leaving out the patients, because another huge gap here is that the patients are severely and it just it, it aches your heart sometimes when you when you understand this. There's lagging severely behind in their understanding of their health and how it applies and how medicine applies to it. Because, you know, patients still, the average patient is still looking for that next best thing, the next protocol, the next pill, the next treatment that can be offered them or that they learn about that they could, that that's going to make all of the difference in their life, you know? And, mm -hmm. and again, this is just a, this is just a farce when it comes to the reality out there because of all the, the complex matrix of things that can go into the same condition and the variation in the genome and the environmental influences that can cause the same health condition, um, you know, that's, that's the reality. And, it, it, you know, it will, however, 
that that old model is still going to continue to line the pockets of the pharmaceutical and the kind of the corporate consumer based medicine out there um, because it, it makes lifetime consumers out of out of the population. Right. Certainly does. Yeah. So we have identified, as I kind of alluded to, we have identified where there are some, certainly some holes, even in functional medicine as, as we deliver it. And, you know, I, I certainly don't. Um, I don't discredit functional medicine as a whole for it. It's, it's, I believe it's certainly a reality of just the fact that uh, it's such a young profession, uh, such a young philosophy and understanding. But, you know, mm-hmm. the, amount of, the amount of miracles that were seen early on with these chronic conditions really showed th- that, the, you know, some of the members of this think tank and the people that got together to conceptualize, you know, what would ideally it look like uh, us treating people, um, uh, a lot of that did solidify in them that they were on the right track. But uh, as functional medicine doctors have realized over the years, the f- absolute foundational importance of the diet, our food supply, uh, the nutrient depletion and the toxicities of our food supply, of our lifestyles uh, in this day and age, uh, this gap that's been created in what it takes for a client to get better and how our traditional medical system, uh, delivery system is set up, it's forcing a lot of the practitioners to reevaluate the way that they were uh, taught, the way that it's been comfortable for them to deliver medicine. And what we're realizing is that there's so much that needs to be done, honestly, to support people back, getting back to health that it's, it's really it's too much to ask the individual doctor to do everything what they have to do within their scope of practice and then also spend additional hours taking on maybe more education and more training to apply an entirely different scope of practice. Um, You know, the average functional medicine practitioner, especially the more referrals they get with the more, you know, wins that they get with these, uh, these tough, tough conditions, they don't have the time Mm -hmm. and resources to provide all of these necessary parts. You like be a, uh, you know, as well trained as a dietitian uh, to, to maybe have some of the skills in um, uh, in emotional training and in neurolinguistic programming that can help people get right in their with their emotions and in their processes of thought and how to change habits in their life. And so this makes it vitally important for what's really happening now, which you know you'll see around you as the formation of partnerships. Between, I was just going to say, yeah. it sounds like it really needs to be a team approach. You got it, you know, and, and these partnerships uh, between practitioners with various areas of expertise um, is really the the advent of kind of the, ne- the next advent, I think the next where we're moving from the initial realization that, okay, we have these great protocols, they're helping some people, but there are people that are being left behind because we just don't have the tools and the time, especially, to, to deal with that. So we're seeing that this approach is necessary to truly fully support the chronically ill. Um, th- and that's who, you know, functional medicine practitioners are really seeing more and more of is, is, uh, is the chronically ill. And that same population, you know, allopathic traditional medicine just really doesn't have success with. Right. Yeah. Right. They just keep Putting band-aids on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with drugs. Right, right. To go to uh, a doctor, it's it's generally it's a fifteen minute visit. Yeah. Ha- I mean, pretty much in fifteen minutes, all a doctor can do is 
is listen to your symptoms, your complaints, whatever, whatever you're coming in with and write a script and you're out and maybe uh, do a, a rec for lab, some lab work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you're, you're right. That just outlines uh, from the patient's perspective, that really outlines a lot of these things that we've been talking about, the, the difficulty for a practitioner to really meet their needs because they don't have the time and, and they're now expected to, to turn over clients patients um, in, in a fast, fast manner. And it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't serve, uh, it just doesn't serve the end user who's purchasing it, you know? And so mm-hmm. this is really where the entrance for the need of what I like to call um, associate functional medicine practitioners, that, that really is where the mm-hmm. need for the, them comes in. And the cool thing is that there's so much opportunity in this uh, arena of associate functional medicine practitioners, because you could have somebody whose their formal training is in music therapy, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it's in stress management, uh, neurolinguistic programming, uh, lifestyle management skills. Uh, even you know, I mean, a pharmacist can apply the knowledge they have into supporting in a very functional way uh, clients, and so the list goes on and on and on. I mean, you talk detoxification specialists, therapists, um, emotional therapists. So there's a lot of opportunity there for associate functional medicine practitioners to team up. And what they really need, they don't need to have the intricate understanding of, uh, you know, of the, the genome and the microbiome and how the enzymes are produced and the biochemical pathways and the deep uh, physiologic concepts that maybe what uh, the the role that I play and that I like to call a care coordinator has, um, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. do need to have an understanding of some of these core concepts, like how detoxification and the GI system, uh, the, the you know the liver, um, the hormonal and the and, and the signaling, um, the bioenergetic pathways, creating energy in the mitochondria. They at least need to know the existence of these, the foundational understanding of how the, there is some interplay there. And then that allows that doctor, the care coordinator, to, to take the lead, to make the intricate changes, the, the little details that need to be changed to apply a protocol differently to yourself and myself, both with the same disease, both with the same condition, but with nuances that are individual uh, to each one of us. And so that allows that doctor to kind of to lead the way and make those changes and uh, through the course of care while being supported by the detailed skills of these uh, functional medicine associate practitioners that they can really spend the time and help the client. Uh, what I like to say, keep the rubber on the road or, you know, keep the, keep the wheels between the lines um, and, mm-hmm. and really make those recommendations work because we all have very, very different lifestyles, very different environments, very different histories and upbringing. Uh, and beliefs, and so the associate functional medicine practitioner is really that vital com- vital component that bridges the gap to serving and supporting the client in a, in a way that is going to work for them. You know, and they're they're going to be able to mm-hmm. make those adaptations in their life to make it work for them because that's the toughest thing. You know, sometimes there's there's things that need to be changed in our social norms that we live underneath uh, are are really tough to break out of sometimes. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. So, how does this work then? I mean, well, first of all, does a patient have to pay for all of this out of pocket, 
or of course who knows what's going to happen with health insurance in the states right. but um, <laughs> that's another discussion or how does how does someone enter into the system um right you know, good question you know there okay. are there are some there are some functional medicine practitioners i know that uh, do bill insurance, but there's some major difficulties with it. Number one, everything they do is not going to be able to be covered in the first place, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So the extent to which they do that, uh, they're really, you know, I liken it to speaking a completely different language than the insurance language, right? <laughs> it, it is, it's an absolute, you know, it's kind of like when I was trying to build insurance for chiropractic, it's like they don't, they don't speak the same language. And so there's difficulties there. And, you know, as a practitioner, you want to, you want to, you want to serve people and you want to help them uh, to a degree. And so I played that insurance game for a while, but when I went to a cash based system, you know, almost exclusively that liberated me to be able to do the things I needed to do to explain, to, to take the time and to explain to my client, why we were why I was recommending this, the importance behind it, what they were going what we were going to get in information out of it, and what sorts of potential actions we'd be able to take off of it. And so by I like to think of it like this is, you know, is this question of insurance is a situation where we're taking our our power, our personal power, and we're handing it over to a company to make decisions on what services we can and cannot receive based on what will and will not be paid for. Because a doctor could recommend something that they know will be very fitting for a person. But if the insurance company doesn't agree with that algorithm that they have, <laughs> you know, the, na mm -hmm. the nameless, faceless algorithm, then they're not going to approve it. And what are the chances, do you think, that the end user patient is going to go along with it? It's very slim. You know, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. when I tell when I break it to somebody or when I describe to somebody that, yeah, this is going to be something that you're dealing, you're dealing in cash as a consumer. It's really that it's, it's empowering. You know, it's taking back the decision making capabilities so that you as an individual can decide what is best for you. You can get the background information. You can gain a level of education and understanding and you can decide for yourself whether that is something that you think is going to be good for you. And so, mm -hmm. you know, me personally, the cost factor uh, is one of the things that I've personally put into the development of my, my new baby, my, my uh, what's called <laughs> functional health team. And I had a lot of frustrations as I, you know, as a bunch of functional medicine practitioners have seen people, you know, rely on their insurance, you know, willing to do certain things, not willing to do others. Um, then the, the practitioner, again, not having the time maybe to, to spend and in, in, in fully supporting people. I had a lot of frustrations. Finances was one of them when it came to me applying functional medicine in my practice. And so on one end of things, the functional health team addresses those uh, disappointments and those frustrations um, it, it, from, a, from a, a few different angles. Finances is one of them. Mm hmm. Okay. So how does it do that? Sure, sure. So, you know, what we really want to get to is being able to empower that client, give them the opportunity uh, to employ a health detective in, in, in this case, in functional health teams case, a, a health detective network that they build themselves 
um, rather than having to rely on these heroic interventions. And so we try to break down barriers that exist in that traditional delivery model of healthcare. And, you know, you can imagine if you tried to obtain this type uh, or level of cooperative care uh, of, a, of a team of individuals, that there's going to be a, a, a number of different um, uh, difficulties having to do with time, the time that you have to, you know, if, if you're if you're seeing multiple practitioners, then this means you've got time away from work, time away from family, and those are cert, those are often a decision that someone will decide to put themselves last because they have to work and they have to be mm-hmm. there for their family, and so one of those barriers was time that I, uh, in building functional health team, have have really focused on breaking down. Another one is money again. Uh, so the accrual of costs, again, of multiple practitioners, you know, when you go to a doctor for the first time, you have a higher initial consultation mm-hmm. fee, mm-hmm. and then, the, then there's the charges that ensue following that for services. Well, you know, just imagine if you went for five different initial consultation fees, that's going to be astronomical. And, you know, right. it, it, my goal was to bring that all into one package. Um, so besides time and money, the, the travel component, the difficulty in mm, getting mm-hmm. to these multiple practitioners and the multiple visits for care and support, those things are enough to lead people to the conclusion that it's impossible for them to approach their health that way. And that was one of my goals, breaking down the time, the time difficulty. Um, the ways that I've done that and designed functional health team to break that down uh, is to access, um, to access the system via a medium that can be delivered to people. So people get access to online forums where they can post questions, they can engage in discussion. It's delivered to them immediately by electronic access, either through uh, a web page type of interface, you know, a web browser type of interface. Mm-hmm. And so people can can choose to maximize their time and maximize their chosen provider's time by uh, utilizing weekly group sessions where they get on and they educate themselves about their process and what they need to do. And then they can then further individualize that information through further private communications with that team member for their functional health team member, even, Hmm. you know, and even employ and have access to employing them with a individual consultation when that sort of thing is needed. So we're kind of leveraging some of the online and the group aspects to deliver information initially, and then providing access for further individualized um, support moving out of that. In the attempt to break down the money issue, once we're through the discovery period, clients have access to a membership type of uh, situation. And so no, you know, no longer will they sh- do they show up to a doctor's visit not knowing how much they're going to spend, because who knows what I'm going to have to do today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With their membership, they're they're kind of covered, and uh, they subscribe to the plan that works for them. So their cost is controlled. They know what's they know what's going on there. And if there does, if there are any incidentals that come up, well, then they can make the decision as to whether they can do that now or whether they need to do that in a couple weeks. You know, once once the mm-hmm. money might be there for them. Mm-hmm. And so then clients that are members actually have access to steeply discounted tools. I like to call them, but uh, often supplements or um, or other sorts of household items that help them detoxify their environment or, you know, uh, detox their shampoo and conditioner, their face soap, get stuff that has good essential oils in them. 
And so we've got access for our clients with a membership that they can get steeply dis, uh, discounted items, um, even so much so uh, that it, it, the majority of the time, it actually beats the prices on Amazon. That's one issue with Amazon is that, you know, they, they can really knock that cost down. But the, the big the big problematic issue with Amazon is that those products often sit in a storage, uh, you know, in a storage garage somewhere for months at a time. And so when you're talking about mm. nutritional products that come from often from food itself, that's going to break down and that's going to change. And so. The beauty of the system that we've been able to uh, uh, to plug into with Functional Health Team is that these items, while they still can be discounted to this degree, they come directly from the manufacturer. You know, so there's there mm-hmm. is no time and you know and uh, temperature or climate control component that could destroy uh, some of these products that you might buy off of Amazon. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and then to try to deal with this kind of travel problem in terms of the the things that are problematic in in the traditional delivery system. You know, the foundation of functional health team is that we deliver the team support through the burgeoning branch of telemedicine. And so uh, we we like to use video. And so, you know, we still have that kind of face-to-face and we're still able to pick up on the emotions and many of the nonverbal cues, not all of them, of course, but many Mm -hmm. of the nonverbal cues that come from having a face-to-face discussion. And so uh, that guidance and the resources are delivered through the web interface and uh, clients can have more information and access on demand uh, because we deliver instruction that can come through a login, through email. Uh, we've, I've even been able to uh, have constructed a secure phone app. And so now somebody could be at the grocery store and need to ask the dietitian if a certain product is going to fit into their program. They can snap a photo on their phone, upload it through their app, and they will then, you know, they'll then get that information in a much faster <laughs> turnaround time. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, than having to wait for their appointment to come, you know, three or four weeks down the line because the doctor they go see is booked solid and they can't get an appointment for a month. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. by, by really leveraging this, this technology, we're able to kind of set up clients for big wins within their care. Um, I can see that. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I, I'm, I, my sense is that um, instead of the client patient handing over the power for their care to another person. To me, this seems more empowering and allows for a, a more proactive approach and a collaboration for the client patient. Absolutely. I, in fact, in my tagline, empowerment is the first word <laughs> of, of, of the tagline um, because that's what we are. We're trying to do. We're trying to set them up for wins and, and education. And because, like we said before, these lifestyle adjustments that are necessary to separate yourself from the herds of other people that their health is still declining and they're still developing, you know, the top ten killers out there to separate you out of that group. It it's extremely difficult and it takes breaking a lot of the social norms that exist. So, you know, even someone who truly wants to get better, they're going to have struggles. We cannot promise that it's always going to be easy. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and so I really, in setting up functional health team, the process, it's been 
very intentionally set up to uh, prepare somebody for winning, to, to empower them. The first three to four weeks um, of care, often, you know, one of the frustrations I had as I got into delivering functional medicine to clients was that I'd have somebody come in, we'd have a great consultation initially, we'd really connect, I'd be able to get a chance to really listen to them, hear their needs, hear where they were hurting, and be able to explain to them the possibilities that were out there and, and the likely roads we were going to travel. However, they would then leave the office having uh, having been ordered for certain tests that we could learn about what was at the the, uh, the basis of their condition, and we could start to create an action plan from that. But it was it would take three or four weeks to get that information back. And those three or four mm. weeks were incredibly disappointing for that person because here they are all excited. They met a doctor who finally understands what they have going on, has been able to paint a picture of some pathways to recovery. However, they're not moving forward. And right, so, right. yeah, and so I, I created two aspects of functional health team that I feel really turned the tables on that. While we're waiting for that information to come back, uh, functional health team members, they do what, they do two things. First off, we take advantage of that motivation and the excitement that they brought to beginning their program, and we counsel them and give them a mentor so that they can isolate their reasons why. And we can anchor them emotionally in the success. And we take them through a few different um, a few different kind of conversations that help them, even though it's not going to be easy at times in the future, help them anchor back into the reasons that they have, dig back into their feelings of personal power. And so that process is really, really beneficial for then the, the long haul, you know, because it, mm -hmm. it, it helps them really draw on why they're doing it and, and what is their, their, what's their reasons, what is their why. Um, mm -hmm. Secondly, to try to also prepare not only them, but even the, their, uh, their associate practitioners to help guide them in, in what's going to, what needs to be done for this person. Uh, we go through a process of what I like to call uh, eating the bona fide food challenge. And, and I tell people that it has to come from the ground. It has to grow from the ground off a tree or have had a mother, and then it qualifies as bona fide food, right? And that- <laughs> Okay, from the ground, tree, or have a mother. Right, okay. and, 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 the, and that bona fide food is your best friend, you know, your BFF, right? And, and this is mm -hmm. what's going mm -hmm. to get you there. However, I also tell them that right now, for the duration of what, when we're doing this program, I don't care at all if they're successful. It doesn't matter to me mm -hmm. if they're successful in this process because, hey, Janine, each and every day I wake up and I have choices to make, even, even now, right? I might be recovered right. from my symptoms, right. but I have choices to make and I might have a day where I win and I do, I eat all, I might eat all organic and it's good whole foods. And there might be a day where something fell off the wagon, you know, and, ah, yes. and, and that's the reality <laughs> with people. And so, you yep. know, mm -hmm. as a practitioner, you can't hide your eyes to that. And so what we do with that bona fide food challenge is again, we don't care if every day they're successful. I mean, if they are, more power to them. They're going to do great for the duration. But what we want to do is we want to question them. We want to evaluate their process that they went through, and we want to find out what was the difficulties. What went wrong? Where did you fall down? Because that prepares their functional health team for 
being better suited to support them moving on into the future. Mm -hmm. And it takes the pressure off too, I think. It does. If you if there's this expectation of success and you know being really really good about the program and and puts a lot of pressure and stress on, which isn't going to be helpful. It does. It absolutely does. Yeah. So you know you know really being able to educate to to, to initially just form a team of people with various uh, areas of expertise. Uh, being able to educate that team as to the individual's needs early on is, is one of the cornerstones of, of why I think the functional health team uh, membership in the process is a successful one. Um, you know, and who knows, mm. maybe maybe in the future I can uh, I can return in conversation with you with a couple of the uh, couple of the functional health team members and we can really demonstrate how the team approach can work for people and, and give some idea like that. That'd be fun. I, I think that would be very exciting. I'd love to do that. Cool. Wow. Well, this sounds really, really exciting. What does somebody type in to get to your website? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice and easy. It's functional health team, T E A M.com. And yeah, we're, we're undergoing, uh, some major construction on, on that site right now, some revamping of, of what we had started out with. And so, um, right now you're not going to see much. You're going to see a coming soon, but, uh, we're well on our way to completing that. Really, this has been wonderful, Matt. What I would like to see is some future podcast episodes where uh, perhaps we focus in, drill down a little bit on uh, specific types of chronic conditions or diagnoses. And um, yeah, I think that would be really, uh, really cool. Agreed. You know, although I definitely... I definitely have uh, some formed thoughts, opinions, especially with creating this, you know, kind of different but new system of how to apply functional medicine. Uh, while I like kind of contemplating and discussing where we are in terms of healthcare right now and, and what we kind of did today, I certainly, I certainly enjoy the uh, the minutia. Great, great. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, sharing your knowledge. Certainly wish the functional health team all the success in the world because I know that it is badly needed. There are a lot of people out there who really do want to get better and keep trying anything and everything that sounds the least bit uh, possible and, and logical to them. And, you know, they're still, still not feeling well or still not getting better. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a nutshell, we would, we would like nothing more than to be able to help stop that revolving door. Great. I second that. So thanks a lot. And <laughs> uh, we'll talk again soon. Take care, Matt. Thank you very much. Dr. Matthew Flory. I now have a much better grasp of the difference between the traditional medical model of healthcare and the model that functional medicine specialists work with. From my perspective, there is a place for both. The traditional model is very useful for acute needs, and the functional medicine model I think is better suited for chronic and autoimmune conditions. Of course, the functional medicine model can be used for any health challenge. Chronic conditions, though, especially need an approach that takes the whole person and the intricate relationship of all systems into consideration, 
not just treating with pharmaceuticals. The whole person approach takes more time and energy to work with, and the majority of medical practitioners are not set up to have the time for the practitioner to be a medical detective, which is what you really need to be for this. Dr. Flory's functional health team model involving associate practitioners to support the journey of discovery and healing is a concept meant to help the functional medicine doctor deliver superior care and the patient to be successful in implementing their personalized treatment plan. As a side note, I am now working with Matt to get to the root cause of my thyroid and chronic fatigue issues. Years of adjusting thyroid medication and trying many different healing modalities and supplements are not really working that well, and I've been getting more and more tired. Many things work for a while, like two to three weeks, and then they stop. Well, now I think I might know why. Matt had me do a comprehensive GI stool test, and remember, 70 percent, I'm pretty sure I'm quoting this correctly, 70 percent of your immune system is in the gut. So I have overgrowths of nine different bacteria, some of them quite uh, a large amount. I, there's also an imbalance of probiotic strains and lots of protein and good fats not being utilized by the body. So I've just started the program he's put me on and we'll see where it goes. The Functional Health Team website is still under construction. Ah, technology. If you are interested in contacting Dr. Flory, keep checking the functionalhealthteam.com website, or you can also go to the Functional Health Team Facebook page. If you have a question for Matt, you can leave it in the comment section for this episode on the Keeping It Real with Janine webpage. To access the podcast website, go to www.realjanine.com. If you use iTunes, Stitcher, or another podcast app, type in Keeping It Real with Janine. And remember, Janine is spelled kind of like Jane Ann. J-A-N-E-A-N. Likes, ratings, reviews, and sharing this with your friends is always appreciated. So take care and be well. Be well.